You and I with Rashmi Shetty is a simple attempt of bringing in stories of people you and I can draw inspiration from. Ordinary folks, extraordinary lives, their uniqueness and individuality that make them interesting to talk to and to listen to. A reaffirmation of the fact, open your eyes wider, the world is far more beautiful when we acknowledge the presence of both you and I. Our guest today is Bhavna Isar, the founder and CEO of a social venture, Caregiver Sathi, which supports family caregivers as companions for their well-being across a variety of psychosocial needs through coaching, counseling, support groups and training. Passionate and with diverse interests, after her corporate stint in HR, she is today an organization consultant in the areas of change, leadership development and organization building. A motorcyclist, she believes motorcycling has helped her push the boundaries of the body and mind and supports women motorcyclists to realize their dreams. Hi, Bhavna. Wonderful meeting you and welcome to You and I with Rashmi Shetty. How lovely to be here. Thank you, Rashmi. Bhavna, I love the work that you do. I love the impact that you're creating thanks to Caregiver Sathi. What is really intriguing me is, where did Bhavna begin her journey? How long back can you take us? Very often I would talk about myself as somebody who was wearing multiple hats or had multiple sides to her. Caregiver Sati is just one part of who I am. But it increasingly feels like the coming together of many other uh, seemingly disparate parts that, uh, that were me some time ago. So very often I would introduce myself as someone who was an organization consultant, somebody who was in her heart at, at least an activist, a dreamer, uh, a learner and uh, an adventurer. I wanted to start something that would create social impact. Um, it did motivate me. I wasn't very sure uh, or very clear whether I knew what and how when I was younger. And over a period of time, uh, my motorcycle riding became a very big part of my identity. Off late, Caregiver Sathi is center stage. But I do think that who I am is significantly contributed by uh, everything, every, every experience of mine, uh, every interest of mine, every, um, everything that I have poked my nose into. So. Um, where do I start? I think a good place to start would be uh, the point at which I kind of made a few significant life decisions. And maybe we can build this along the way because this is, this is an unusual question and uh, maybe stuff will emerge. Bear with me as I go through this. I think a significant point in my life was uh, the Buddha Purnima of 2013. 
11 where um, a friend of mine suggested that I meditate under the Buddha Purnima's moon and uh, seek guidance for what is it that I want to do. And uh, I had been hugely influenced by Randy Porsche's last lecture and chasing childhood dreams. And uh, one of the things that I am recently very aware of is the fact that I was very present to the idea that um, life is ephemeral and there is uh, it can come to an end and we don't know how long uh, any one of us has. And uh, my dad had died at the age of 54 and somehow that number has had a very significant influence, uh, meaning for me. I, maybe I got many death certificates made and I had to mention 54 every time or if someone would ask, they would often ask, so how old was your dad? And one ended up saying 54. So, you know, somewhere that number stuck. And uh, I think I was very afraid of dying without having realized my dream. And uh, being in the regular corporate world wasn't satisfying enough. Um, it can be, it is to many people and I think that's great. Um, a big part of who I am is that I'm a very restless person. So, because I'm a very restless person, I'm not easily satisfied, I'm not easily uh, stable. I, uh, I wanted to find that one thing which would find me an anchor and make me feel like, okay, this is what I want to do. So, Buddha Purnima, Randy Posh, and my mentor who asked me this question. Uh, so, my mentor Raghu Anant Narayan asked me this question saying, How will you lead a dharmic life? And uh, one of the ways of defining dharmic life would be if you can go beyond your personal suffering and make a difference to the world. And each one of us has our own personal suffering. And um, for the longest, I thought that I am, uh, I am poorer for the fact that I don't have an ancestral home as well. My great, my grandparents relocated at the time of partition, so we don't have a village to go back to and make a difference to. So what can I really do? with all my education and profession. And so much like Ikigai, coming together of my education, my professional experience, and my life experience of being a caregiver or being a caregiver to a caregiver, my mother who was the primary caregiver to my father, I thought that maybe setting up an organization that supported the needs of family caregivers would be an amalgamation of all of this. So that's what led to, um, to where I am. And uh, it helped being a motorcyclist because, you know, when you're a motorcyclist, you're willing to go to uncharted terrain. Wow, this is beautiful. And how did you get 
into becoming a motorcyclist bhavna any particular inspiration or that is again the restless mind of bhavna that pulled her into that direction because that's like a dare right <laughs> uh so uh, that story has been written about uh, in the book touch the sky by rashmi bansal uh, and she speaks about my motorcycling story and uh, to summarize the story well uh, i come from a family where uh, i was lucky to not have gender discrimination mm-hmm. i was lucky to be brought up in a world where i could do anything that um, and it wasn't a function of my gender So um my father had a scooter and he had a Bajaj Chetak and uh, one of the rites of passage of becoming an adult was getting access to his scooter so uh I you know it was a big deal to turn 16 and get the learning license and the learner's license and then you know be able to take his scooter and he was a forgy so you know he insisted that i should know how to repair the scooter and i should be able to kick start the scooter and be able to get the license etc and it was a big deal because i was the elder sibling i have a younger brother and um, i would get the license before he would um unusual for our times and unusual i think in homes where there are boys and girls usually yeah. boys get uh, get that access for me i took it for granted um that's how it was i was the elder one i was first in line so i just got it um so i used to ride my dad's scooter and i used to when i was in college in delhi it was unusual uh, but it used to give me a thrill you know so i was that young girl in the building who used to ride the scooter and um it was very helpful to go to the university campus and do my extra nit classes it kind of got me around faster than dtc buses it was also uh more safe <laughs> than dtc buses so of course there would be boys on the road who would try and unnerve you while you were driving if they knew a girl is driving um and uh, i didn't think much of it the fact that i could ride a, a two wheeler and uh, that led me to xlri jamshedpur and in xlri jamshedpur our beautiful campus was in a place where uh, which was far from the shopping area and uh, you know the auto rickshaws were prohibitively expensive so either you were mindfully going or uh, you know there were some boys on the campus who would have motorcycles and you know you could ask them and they could take you and uh, my thing was that i don't want anybody to take me um i will just give me your bike <laughs> i can take my <laughs> 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 um if you can lend me your bike i'm good i don't want to be pillion and uh, you know bike riders are a little possessive about their motorcycles Bikes, yeah, especially yeah. young men for whom <laughs> this would have been you know an opportunity yeah so uh but i was lucky to have a couple very good friends who indulged me and who said acha chal you know you can take our bike um and uh, that's when i used to take the motorcycle so you know up until now it was scooter so i was like if i can ride a scooter which i can kick start 
not too hard right i can get on to a bike as well and so i used to ride the bikes borrowed and uh, there i discovered that i used to get a slightly different joy and it was a stress reliever and it just felt very nice to be on a bike and even so i didn't really think of it like motorcycling can be a hobby you know it was it was just functional many years later my brother had to go to an mba college and uh, i told him i said if you take your bike along with you you know you will only be uh, charting women from one place to the other you will not be able to study <laughs> <laughs> so you should leave your bike for me <laughs> and he so, did and he did <laughs> okay so, um I was able to convince him that you know, in order for him to have to focus and study, he should not take his bike, and I should take the bike instead. And I was working at that time, and uh, I was in Hyderabad. I had his bike, which I used to take to work, which was quite a conversation at the workplace. And you know, like Hyderabad, uh, so my security guards would come up to me and say, "Madam, आपको भारी नहीं लगता है." Which 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 bike was this that you? Had? So this was a Hero Honda Splendor because you know, like a good um, middle class and functional motorcycle. We wanted one that was just efficient, and so it was petrol efficient. And I used to have my Hero Honda Splendor in Hyderabad, and that was fun. But then I grew out of it in the sense, like you know, one had a little more money, so one could buy a car. Mm-hmm. and the bike fell by the wayside and it wasn't a hobby that i had given much thought many many years later we were in goa for a holiday and we hired a bike my husband and i and we just got thinking it's like you know we both enjoy motorcycles we can now afford to have a motorcycle so why don't we get a motorcycle be fun and so for my 39th birthday he bought me a uh, Thunderbird. That was the beginning of a whole new chapter that led to me getting in touch with the women biker group. By now, motorcycling was more popular. There were these groups that you could join together. Thanks to the internet, one could get in touch with many more people with common interests. So that led to meeting some incredible women motorcyclists. That led to. our expedition to mana pass and many other things i made some incredible friends that just opened a whole new chapter whole new identity for me okay uh, sometime back you likened life's journey to that of biking expeditions so if you take biking expeditions as a metaphor Oh, hmm. uh, where do you see the likeness? Because life's journey, like you said, I could actually visualize uh, you on a bike and you in life, and see how there are some meandering passes, which seem so uh, really scary from a distance. But when you get in there, it could be a different journey. So, uh, what have those biking expeditions taught you, which you have applied to life? Have there been moments where you could find the similarities and applications? many okay so let's see where we can begin okay the first one is that a good motorcyclist takes care of their bicycle almost loves them yeah uh the second is that uh you are mindful of safety gear 
so you do take risks but you also take safety precautions so you do wear your knee guards and your jackets and your helmets and you are mindful and you do go off the beaten path and you go off road so to speak and um uh riding in groups requires a lot of discipline so there is a lot of respect for the other riders there is a certain camaraderie and there is um and there is discipline so discipline means that you are mindful of the order the sequence in which you will ride the fact that you will be mindful of who your teammates are you will take everyone along there are some unwritten codes in uh, in motorcycle riding and which is why there is that whole idea of brotherhood which is a non gender thing yeah <laughs> but uh, yeah motorcycle riding is that but when you go individually for example then you know you kind of it helps to think through where you're going but if you haven't thought through where you're going um or what is the path that you're going to be taking then it helps to rely on your belief and your skills and your ability to seek help um very often people would ask me that what if your bike broke down and yes of course my bike could break down just like it could break down for any man uh what would you do you would seek the help of people around you <laughs> and and that's okay and um i think that's that's true for life you are might be on a path where you don't know and people are very nice this world is full of lovely people and um you could break down your system could not work but people are will- more more people are willing to help you than people willing to cheat you or fraud you and you do encounter strange experiences and you do encounter people who disappoint you uh and you do fall off your bike but uh that was another major experience that i had you can't go on an expedition thinking i will never fall off the bike you will fall off the bike <laughs> how much ever uh skillful rider you are so be prepared to fall off and get back on and you will hurt so there is no uh saving yourself from the fall and the hurt and um it happened with me we were seven of us and three of the riders were ahead of me and three significantly behind and we were on this terrain which was really rocky because it was above the tree line and uh, the oxygen levels were also much low yeah. and we like you know had the jacket helmet and everything and i fell because we were literally riding on boulders and uh, there was nobody inside and uh, the only thing i could do was wait till i got my energy up and get back on the ride so i think that's a metaphor for life as well which is that um, there could be times when you fall off your bike uh and there is no help in sight you just catch your breath and 
get back on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. That was beautiful, Bhavna. That that was amazing. In fact, when you said that, the only thing that came to my mind was that falling down is natural in life, but getting up makes all the difference. And it seemed like biking has taught you that very beautifully, and you, you shared it very articulately with that example. So my question to you now is: uh, This is getting a little too addictive for me, you as a biker. But I can see the huge metaphor and why you use that as uh, a metaphor for life. Uh, were there certain things that you took for granted, which suddenly opened your eyes? towards like oh my god this is a gift i need to be more careful about how i use it or i should not take this as for granted it's a blessing in fact were, were there any of those aha moments on your rides so this is a tough question but i'm going to go with it because i have the biker spirit um <laughs> and this is off road so uh yes. right um, <laughs> i started by saying that i think i took my uh, you know the environment in my home for granted uh i just assumed that that's how it is and that's how the whole world should be because why should my gender come in the way of who i can who i am and what i should do um I found that more often than not among motorcyclists there's a very little gender divide. There tends to be a bias that is true. Very often you will find that people will say oh woman rider or you know woman driver. But it is significantly lesser among uh people who are motorcyclists but let's not stereotype and let's not broad brush so um the other thing that i think i uh, took for granted and motorcycling taught me was um that you cannot jump into something without uh without equipping yourself My father insisted that I kick start his blessed scooter till I got that right. And um today you have auto ignition. But that auto ignition can go bad. Yeah. And I'm glad that I can kick start my bike. Yeah. And there's a little joke between me and my daughter. that uh i can kick start my bike but sometimes my husband can't so um and um so i think being fundamentally prepared is something that i kind of took for granted which was a part of my bringing up my dad insisted that i it just to irritate me but he insisted take the scooter off the stand put it back on take it off the stand put it back on i mean very forgy training but it held me in good stead hmm. because it kind of made me comfortable with the weight of the bike i kind of took it for granted that i could 
navigate that heavy vehicle but um, it's 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 something that the motorcycling kind of precipitated in my thinking um there are a few other things uh, that i think motorcycling uh, brings out which is you know when you go out you get ready for it it's almost like going for war <laughs> you kind of put on your jacket and dress up and you wear your helmet and there's a little ritual to it i think when you want to go on a journey it's helpful to have a little ritual and it's helpful to have a little preparation time where you kind of bring all your senses to that one activity that you're going to be doing mm-hmm. so and be okay with uh, that okay i might be faced with surprises and there will be instances when i might fall down etc but uh, it's good to do your checks right is your is your oil in okay is your petrol okay is your bike working well etc etc do you have all the things before you go and you can still be surprised yes so i think uh, motorcycling teaches you to be well prepared as much as be ready for surprises mm. which is a life lesson yes definitely it is and uh, do you still go on biking expeditions as in not uh, in the last one and a half years that uh, are you still yeah, yeah. groups i i'm nursing a dream to go for a long run as soon as i'm touching wood nice and strong that that yeah. should come true very soon yes please do uh, i can't die before that <laughs> <laughs> you will not <laughs> the universe is hurting <laughs> yes uh, it has to happen so yes. few things have to happen before i die i have to be able to wear all my sarees and i have to be able to <laughs> and i have to be able to do some of these expeditions so yeah yes and uh, moving back to where you took us I loved the visualization of the meditation on Buddha Purnima and uh, from there how has your journey been and what happened did, did something stir in you after that meditation did it help you alter did it help you uh, stabilize center what happened did uh, because that is something that we left at the meditation point and moved on so nothing dramatic actually it was quite <laughs> underwhelming <laughs> it was like oh okay but you know nothing happened so um i think i probably just got a little clue so the clue was that okay uh i'm not too sure what i want to do but i do know what i don't want So I do want to chase my childhood dream and I do want to list all the things that I want to do before I die. And um it's not like a bucket list but you know here's what will give me the gratification that I have lived the life that I want. To. And I think a lot of people do that much ahead they live the lives that they want to. In my case it wasn't so for whatever reason. I um i didn't necessarily live for myself and so it was an opportunity for me to say okay you know i'm going to do what i want to do and i can make that choice today um if i am 
uh, I tend to be very involved in what I do. So if I am going to be a full-time uh, employee with an organization, it's hard for me to 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 do anything else. A lot of people do a very good job with that. They do many other things, um, but for me that didn't work. So for me it was important to say. Um, I'd like I'd rather be an organization consultant that had the choice of the organizations that I was working in that had the choice of the kind of assignments I was doing because this is something that I have liked doing I have a skill in it also you know gets me the bread and butter so but this is what I want to do and this much but I do want to do some of my I do want to indulge in my hobbies and I do want to figure out what this is it was at that time just let's figure out what this is and i'm willing to deviate make mistakes etc so that led to saying that i one of the biggest things that i wanted to do was to honor uh, the memory of my dad and our experience so the natural next step was he had a very rare neurological condition so can i can i do something for people who are similarly affected and that led to this whole page around multiple system atrophy and um, i wasn't very close to his particular condition and my mother was the primary caregiver and one day on our page which was a facebook page at that time we got a question saying are you talking about multiple system atrophy or are you talking about multiple sclerosis because the two are very different and that led me to think that um while i am talking about multiple system atrophy perhaps it is not important to talk about the disease per se perhaps the common denominator across multiple such conditions is the family caregiver i am more close to the caregiving experience than the disease itself and that is what is really missing in our system because there isn't a support system for the caregiver so maybe we need, we can broad base what we are looking at and maybe what we can do is look at this entity which is the caregiver and say okay the disease is taken care of but what about the rest of their lives and that's where the idea of research around caregivers their needs how is it different in the west versus what's going on in our country what's our history what are our sensibilities came about so for a significant period from 2011 to about 15 16 i was literally marinating in the material um and reading as much as i can dipping into life experiences of people etc and making meaning of it and uh it was only around uh, 2017 i i started talking to people like what would this look like and you know people gave me feedback and every conversation helped refine the idea and then one day my friend told me my classmate she said uh tum bas baatein karti rehna kuch karna mat and that just hurt me <laughs> like 
okay let's just do something now maybe we will not have uh, the perfect answer but maybe we will have something so that's when in 2018 on my mom's birthday i announced the website um, and said okay this is what caregiver sathis and this is what we will be doing and blah blah and uh, obviously with every passing day the idea or the concept has evolved and the concept has gotten sharper it was never uh, so clear <laughs> it still isn't very clear <laughs> uh we are still figuring out a bunch of things but uh but we've come a long way No, I completely agree with you, Bhavna. Caregivers don't have a common space, and uh, you know, uh, it was a conference of uh, uh, making people inclusive and the society inclusive. It's uh, it's called the India Inclusion Summit that I had gone to, and I met up with a caregiver there whose brother was on stage for uh, some achievement. and at that point when she said that she's a yoga instructor herself and she said when my brother was in bombay there was no problem having a caregiver with him but now he's 35 and he needs to be carried and to get a caregiver uh, in bangalore is such a big task and so as on date i am doing it my husband does it uh, when he's around but it's very tough and she had tears in her eyes and at that time i was like oh my god this is one community that nobody is talking about i'd like to point out something but in this case the example that you're talking about is a professional caregiver hmm hmm what she doesn't recognize is that she's a caregiver yes and i would like to point out that at caregiver sathi we want to work with the family caregiver Mm-hmm. because very often family members don't see themselves as caregivers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like when she had tears saying I I don't know who to go and share this with. I teach people de-stressing with yoga, but I don't have a space which is safe enough for me to go share this. And I feel that is something which nobody thinks about. And I, while I came back home on my entire journey I was only thinking that's so true. Mm. And that's why you you appeal to me on LinkedIn because I think that name immediately resonated because at the back of my mind this was on that yeah. where where do such caregivers go? And uh, yeah. you were very clear that when family does it many of the times family doesn't even recognize it that way. Yeah. Yeah, and you're yeah. very right. Yeah. that's the that's the socio cultural context um which is deeper in india it's true mm. for around the world where certain things are expected from family and in india it is deeper and of course uh, there is the gender dynamic too yes so you said 2018 was when you started caregiver sathi and uh, how has your journey been since especially You said you're still learning, you're still evolving. There is still things happening. When you set out, it is the intent with which you put it out there, and the backing of all that you had read behind, which helped you. But you needed just one small impetus. Your friend said that, and it started action, <laughs> and it started getting into motion. But uh, when you set out on the journey, 
uh, were there some kind of a feedback that you got from people around or people you didn't know who said that this is something that we really wanted it is so timely uh, or any such things which you got as feedback which said that yes uh, this is working this is resonating with people what kept you going actually i got more feedback that what i'm thinking is a pie in the sky and what i'm thinking of is impractical and i am living in a utopian world and that i am uh, i don't have my feet on the ground and that um, on many occasions a lot of people ask me so okay you want to do this how will you make money and uh, i'm not from the development sector and i don't understand the world of philanthropy and donations and uh, i was very often asked that okay so what will you really do okay so you want to support caregivers but how i think the curiosity and even in their desire to help and 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 people who are probably far more pragmatic than i am would often ask me um, so tell us a few things so you know be crisp you know don't tell us the full story which i haven't still figured out very well but what do you want to do what are the three things that you how will you help the caregivers what can you do to help the caregivers the second thing they would say is, so how will you make money who will give you the money and why and um i have to say that um these are questions that i didn't have answers to um i don't have very clear answers sometimes even today and um despite being called utopian activist um uh, impractical uh, not practical pragmatic enough um my view very strongly was that we will figure it out but just because i don't have the answer right now doesn't mean it's not a problem to be solved so uh, we had to do a lot of things to just figure out what this universe is mm-hmm. you know um like my mother often says you were just simply plowing the ground right because it was an not so fertile land let's just say not so ready Uh-huh. and Sorry. i was uh not being a classic entrepreneur so one of the thing um you know what is a good entrepreneur do and i was uh, you know this was a good uh, this was a question to meditate on and uh, one of the things that came up for me was a good entrepreneur is one who is able to recognize a market opportunity who is able to get a market product fit which means that people recognize that they need something and you have a product or a service that meets that need mm-hmm. and here i was uh plowing around trying to create a need that wasn't necessarily well articulated well precipitated and uh, adequately understood and um, yet i was going about it in a very bumblebee kind of a way you know the story about the bumblebees right so bumblebees um, aerodynamically should not be able to fly given their huge bottoms yes uh, and small wings but they do mm. for the simple reason that they don't know aerodynamics 
So, <laughs> um, I, I relate with the bumblebee, uh, not just physically, um, but even otherwise. Uh, I, I think um, I was going about my work like that, um, and uh, there wasn't, there wasn't adequate, and so we charted a path for ourselves, saying that okay. Plowing and seeding thoughts would mean creating awareness and uh, talking to various communities, getting a hang of, you know, what are the hospitals doing in this area, and who are the influencers, and who are the affected parties, and what are people thinking, etc. So it was really ab initio, because um, although there is some work around this in uh, some of the Western economies, it is very, um, it is very different. Given the socio-cultural context in India hmm. and uh, the state of the gender dynamics in India, and uh, a typical venture would require you to think backwards from where will the money come from, and for that I'm grateful to my grandmother. She used to say that you know people who have a lot of money. Tend to have small hearts, so if we have to retain our heart and our care and compassion, then we have to stop worrying about money. And if you look at our Indic wisdom, also, if you run after Lakshmi, she runs faster away. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't run after Lakshmi, if you go for Saraswati, or if you go for Parvati, whatever, Lakshmi follows. And that's the right path. Yeah. Um, I hope Lakshmi will follow. <laughs> I live in that hope. <laughs> I'm building the case. I hope you are listening to me, goddess. Uh, but uh, or not, not listening, and you will just follow, because uh, the pragmatic view is also true that you do need finances and you do need money to. to Create scale and impact of a certain order hmm. is not sustainable. I do stay up late at nights worrying about where I will get the money to pay the salaries that I have to pay, hmm. and um, and uh, one can't rely on just donations. Uh, one has to have a sustainable method. Yes, and. Uh, So that's a that's a conundrum to be cracked, and that's a problem to be solved. And I hope that members of your audience will join the movement and give us suggestions and help us uh, build a sustainable model that can help us uh, figure out how is it that we can uh, build a caring, compassionate, sustainable, financially viable organization without necessarily running out. Amen to that, Bhavna. <laughs> But uh, in the last one and a half years, everything took a back step, and caregiving somewhere came to the forefront. Uh, has anything shifted in the thought process of people you are interacting with towards caregiving and caregivers in particular? So you're absolutely right. Um, you know the silver lining, uh, at least for us, mm. and therefore by that extension, I think for humanity as a whole, mm. is the fact that uh, 
care, caregiving and caregivers have come front and center into each one of our experiences, our lived experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, there would be a moment of gloom and doom when I would start my presentations with the sentence saying, we are sitting on a healthcare crisis and it's going to blow, blow up in our faces. And I used to think I'm so dramatic. Yeah. But, uh, you know, here we are. And um, earlier, I would have to say, imagine this world of a caregiver where a caregiver feels helpless, socially isolated, inadequate, is grappling with feelings of guilt and anger and frustration, and is grappling with mental health challenges. Today, I don't need to say that. Mm-hmm. Everybody has that experience. I don't need to paint a picture of that experience, for example, right? And the fear of death and the fear of losing people um, in a, at any point in time is the reality of the family caregiver of someone who is terminally ill. As of 2020, there were approximately 19,000 people with those kind of conditions. But because of COVID, it is more than a billion people who now have the similar experience. Mm. So I have bittersweet feelings about it in the sense that it's too big a price for us to pay to learn some of the things that one wanted to do with the organization. Mm. Uh, But it is what it is. And um, a dear friend of mine often reminds me, so when I say that, you know, uh, gosh, I just wish we didn't need COVID for people to recognize caregiver Sathi. Um, and this friend of mine is very kind and gentle and that's what I think friends are so he says that you know Bhavna uh, if people are recognizing you now it's because you have invested enough time to understand this phenomena before and you're ready for offering something today Exactly. which is also true mm-hmm. and I accept that um, I could have very easily gone down my corporate career um, and never done anything about it and never been ready for this today, right? So today, if there is one organization like Caregiver Sathi in India, there would have been none. So for that, I think um, think that is definitely something. And you know, I hesitatingly feel proud of. All the plowing that you did on that field to understand what it is uh, ask those questions, do the research, do the study, see the value and just put yourself completely in front. I think that is now paying off because now the ground is fertile. When you talk, people listen and uh, the need has come. You know, like in one of the webinars, I it was about grief and she said that in a very rough Mayan translation of tumor is hardened tears okay which I thought was so powerful yeah and today it makes so much sense yeah and caregivers most of the time are not uh, completely unable in front of people who are sick to shed those tears so where do they go yeah and those hardened tears in fact impact the caregiver sometime later and I think this fertile space you have created is so powerful. So three learnings that you've had from life, which you would want to leave us with. Three learnings. The first, the universe loves a believer. 
what that means is if you have faith and conviction there is something i may not have seen the full import of that but i'm going to hold on to that <laughs> uh so yes i think um that's that's one thing that i hold on to the second thing that i hold on to is that people are nicer than they are not um uh, and more people are nicer than they are not but there is a there's a part of me that is monstrous and devilish <laughs> as well i mean i can be i can be a very difficult and a very um you know demanding or tasking person and i suppose uh, i mean like everyone is not just uh, just one type so but i think on balance that uh, you know there is it can be it can be a comforting caring experience in general with people the third thing is that it has been my favorite quote actually the world has a lot to give yeah so do not approach the ocean with a spoon in your hand <laughs> wow okay <laughs> that's yeah. beautiful that's beautiful and i think right there we have the four letter word all of us are holding on to with a lot of lot of prayers called hope Yes. because just with that statement that the world has so much to give or a lot to give itself shows so much promise yeah and i wish i pray and i promise my support wherever you need it mm-hmm. uh to make sure that the world gets whatever it needs now because i think caregivers are the ones who are most affected with what is happening around you know you spoke about the fact that where do caregivers find safe spaces to speak about the difficult emotions and difficult feelings and yes. because there is usually you know your love for the other person that you don't want to let the other person down yes is by uh, and because you have a podcast i wanted to mention that we have a podcast called caregiver diaries in oh, which okay. we collect caregiver stories mm-hmm. and we give an opportunity for caregivers to tell their stories it's called caregiver diaries because imagine a caregiver writing their diary mm-hmm. because a diary is a safe space you can write mm-hmm. anything in it Yeah yeah and imagine you getting a peek into that diary correct and these are anonymous mm. so you can listen to that story mm. and you can relate with it or understand it appreciate it or share your story mm. without ever sharing your name or your identity mm mm and uh, storytelling we know is healing for the storyteller as well as the listener listener yeah yeah and any story bhavna you can crisp it as much as possible but any story that touched you and remains with you or has taken a piece of you the one that i most passionately believe in this is this and i've been because this is 
this is the one that we are working on i will tell you through the pandemic i got to know about a young woman who had lost her husband in very tragic circumstances mm. was a corporate employee and a very senior one and um, because it was a sudden un um, un absolutely uh, unexpected passing mm. um there were a lot of things to be done Fortunately for her, a lot of people came forward to help, mm. uh, including um, the guy's friends. Mm. Yeah, mm. some of whom who reached out to me to say, "Will you help her um, write a resume so that she can get a job?" Mm. And um, I said, "By all means." But mm. uh, for me, uh, writing the resume is not uh, just that task. So I wanted to get to know her a little better. and we set up a couple of conversations to get to know her and mm. through that conversations i realized that very well meaning friends and family were talking to her and telling her that she needed to pick up a job now that she had small children to look after mm. and um therefore although she was mba finance and because that was a job that she had done long ago that's the kind of career that she can pick probably look at the op the organization where her husband was working and that would be the right thing to do uh but you know what this woman had over the years by because of being a trailing spouse had um decided to venture into a business hmm. and venture into a business of garments which she was very very good at and she had a knack for so she had clients that were very very keen on staying with her and yet she now had the pragmatic input of go back to where your parents are pick up a job some even suggested you should take a job in a school because uh, you know you will have time for your children and in my conversations with her she told me i cannot be a school teacher i'm not good with children i will die and um i don't think i want to go back to my finance job but that seems like the most practical thing that i'm being advised to do here is the problem with how we look at women who may have lost their partners and we advise them with our lenses in our conversations i realized that she needed to actually she wanted to just pursue her business she wanted to stay independently and of course she was in deep sorrow of having lost the love of her life not only did we had to work with her sense of regret and sorrow and uh, whatever she needed someone who would tell her you do what you want to do and i will support you i will be your sathi i will be your companion but you are in charge and you do what you have to do and i think for all the women and men who are losing their partners in very tragic circumstances they need to not be given help we need to get over our savior complexes we need to tell them that they are in charge and they need to lead the way and we are here as companions as sathis 
and that we are holding the safety net not that we are going to lead them the way people have more potential than we give them credit for people have more capabilities than we recognize them for so we should just let it blossom but we should be there should something not work out so that's what i'd like to say and you know i'm so proud of this woman she decided to set up her business and she's living independently and she's of course in deep sorrow she misses perhaps her partner but i'm glad that she didn't get pressured into becoming a school teacher or going back to her parents and is bringing up the children the way that she wants to i think it's moments like these that make the cause worth it and uh, for me bhavna i had read this quote by the dalai lama a long time ago which said that if you want others to be happy practice compassion if you want to be happy practice compassion and i think you are doing it beautiful god bless you and all the very best in this venture may all your dreams come true all the effort of the plowing that you have done thank you and may you get the right seeds to put in there and if they're already there may you get the right climate to get them all sprouting and making a difference to the world thank you Thank you, Thank you so you. much Bhavna for your time. Thank you. God bless. Thank you. With that, we come to the end of this episode of You and I with Rashmi Shetty. Do let us know your feedback and your guest suggestions. Write in to rashmi.thirdeye at gmail.com that is r a s h m i dot t h e t h i r d e y e at gmail.com <laughs>